Hello, my name is Dalia Elshimi. I am a researcher at Shopify, and I'm really excited today to be talking to Vadim Self, who is a senior UX manager on the Shopify Fulfillment Network team here at Shopify. Vadim, how's it going with you today? Hey, Dalia. It's going well. Thank you for uh, hosting the, this podcast. I'm really excited to be talking to you about this, about SFN and what we do. Great. On that note, actually, do tell us about SFN. So this is a very unique product within Shopify, and I'm quite excited that we have an opportunity to chat about it today. So start us off by telling us what is the Shopify Fulfillment Network. You'll probably hear us using the words Shopify Fulfillment Network and SFN interchangeably throughout. But yeah, Vadim, tell us a little bit about it. What is it and how does it work? Yeah, no, this is a great question. So Shopify Fulfillment Network is a network that will allow and already allows Shopify merchants to basically outsource their fulfillment. One of the hardest parts in doing commerce, which is fulfilling the orders. And it is definitely you know, a big pain point for merchants as they start to grow and as they get to a, a point where their fulfillment, the self-fulfillment that they're doing on their own becomes very challenging for them and impacts their growth. So Shop Fulfillment Network is a network that we've built to allow merchants to trust us with their inventory and us fulfilling their orders on their behalf. So the process is very smooth for them. I mean, like there's nothing really changes from their perspective and the orders keeps coming in to their stores, but we are handling the fulfillment on their end and delivering the orders to their buyers. So does that imply that you are carrying the inventory of their product somewhere centralized? That's correct. So we have a network of fulfillment centers currently in North America. So in the US, primarily in the US and Canada that store our merchants inventory. So they obviously, they send us their inventory and we can determine how much they send us and which products they send us. And then we store the inventory and then fulfillment on their behalf. So that doesn't mean that they have to send us all the inventory. In some cases, they still keep some of the inventory, you know, in their places, whether it's stores uh, or perhaps even their warehouses if they have, but we do fulfill the majority of that. So it ends up being a combination where the SFN is fulfilling some of the orders and the merchants can fulfill some of them themselves, or do you handle um, the entirety of the fulfillment once they are sort of part of the system? We can do the entirety of fulfillment, but again, depending on the merchant preferences. So I'll, I'll give an example. Let's say there's some specific product that merchants have that they still want to continue fulfill themselves. Maybe it's a large, very large product, or maybe that has some certain limitation that we, because SFN right now cannot fulfill everything. So there's certain limitations to what we can do for merchants. So they can give us some of the inventory and continue to fulfill the rest of the inventory themselves. That's pretty cool. It sounds like there's a pretty important element of trust here. So building out relationships with merchants to kind of get to that place where you're saying, let me handle that fulfillment side of things, which is a huge aspect of the relationship that merchants already have with their own customers. And you're sort of stepping in and taking over that. How do you establish that trust? How do you build those relationships with the merchants to get them bought into this process and sort of get them to hand over such a critical part of uh, their commerce business? That's like, you really hit it on the nail. Building the trust with merchants is a critical component and, you know, and success of Shop Fulfillment Network. In fact, one of our very early principles that we had for SFN is, is what we called inventory integrity. 
And that means that at any point, we had to provide to merchants complete transparency to what's happening with their inventory. Inventory in most cases, it's the most expensive thing. And in, for many merchants, it's where their most of their business is. And like when they're entrusting us with their inventory, that means that they need to know what's happening with it. So having an inventory integrity, meaning that we have full transparency into the numbers, where their inventory is stored, how it's being fulfilled, if there are any things that's, you know, if there are any delays or unclear situations. So this was one of their very early key principles for us in building that. And we obviously still have that to ensure that merchants know that. How we build that? So this is one of the hardest part of, of building SFN. The reality of fulfillment is, you know, there's obviously, it's, it's a network. And then the way that SFN is built, we partnering with fulfillment centers. So that means this actual inventory is, is not owned by Shopify and it's stored in fulfillment centers that in many cases, third-party fulfillment centers, which we work with and uh, we have established a relationship with. So understanding how, and like those fulfillment centers could be very different from one another. And some of them can use different systems. So understanding how, you know, where the items stored, how it's being communicated from their systems back to Shopify and back to merchants. It's obviously, this is probably the hardest part of building that trust. And obviously, on the merchant side, you know, they are very used to transparency and to the integrity that we provide with our Shopify core product. And one of the key principles is for us is to making sure that we're maintaining that integrity and trust that they already have with Shopify. Sounds like quite a challenge. I'm curious, what problem were you trying to solve for those merchants in the first place? You know, when you're stepping into that relationship and giving them your value proposition for this new system that you're building out, how do you frame, you know, the, the challenges that you're trying to alleviate or the problems that you're trying to solve for those merchants when you think about uh, what it's like for them to do fulfillment on their own without the support of SFN? Yeah, so the key problem is... We have many merchants and definitely you know, we're talking about growing merchants. They just simply don't want to deal with fulfillment. I mean, fulfillment can be fun when you're dealing with maybe a couple of orders and it's definitely exciting thing for beginning merchants, you know, to do the fulfillment and have a part of that fulfillment experience. But as they start to grow and they start to scale and they get to, you know, tens and then hundreds of orders a day, this is obviously becomes a very big part of their work, which basically blocks and really interferes with their ability to, to focus on growing their business. Mm-hmm. And many merchants, the main problem we're trying to solve is taking away that problem they don't want to deal with and taking it on our own. So the problem is just we're trying to take the fulfillment from them because many of them claim that they don't want to deal with fulfillment. They want to continue you know, on doing the fun stuff on the businesses, developing new products, working on growing their, you know, their market share, growing on their buyers, you know, user base. And then fulfillment, however, they still want to make sure that the fulfillment and the experience that they're providing to their customers is still at the same level that they can do themselves. So it's building the trust that we can do that, whether it has to do with delivery times, whether it has to do with, you know, unboxing experience. And some of them have very unique cases where they would like to be that, you know, unboxing experience quite unique. So these are all the problems that we're trying to take from the merchants and trying to build the products for SFN to do that. That's great. 
kind of interesting hearing you talk about that. It brings me back to, I think, my very first week at Shopify, which I don't know, it was about six and a half years ago or so. But at the time, you know, we had our, our merchant visit program, which is where you would, you know, we had a list of merchants, Shopify merchants who had sort of agreed to opt into this program where uh, people from Shopify can go and sort of spend time with them. And in the early days, the idea behind the merchant services program was that you actually went and spent the whole day there and the merchant put you to work. I think over time, it sort of evolved where it became more of a sort of opportunity to visit a store, have a chat with the merchant, spend like, you know, half an hour to an hour there. But back then it was really, you, you message people and you're like, I'm going to, can I come work at your store for a day? And so on my first week, I got to go to spend the day with this merchant called Kigurumi, uh, that's based in Montreal in the Myland, and they sell these sort of Japanese animal onesies. And it was a really sort of interesting setup where there was the owner and her partner, and she had uh, three people working with her. And she had a warehouse built inside her apartment, which was one of those sort of Montreal style lofts where it was just like, everything was open and like her bed was in one corner. And then one side of the loft was just, it was a big enough like, warehouse, I would say. It was, I mean, like rows upon rows of shelves stacked up to a really high ceiling with probably like hundreds of skews of like every animal you can think of. They had an animal onesie for and like all of these different sizes. Wow. And the way that they had structured their day was in the morning, all they did for like the entire morning was deal with customer requests who wanted to edit their orders. And it blew my mind that that was, because we didn't have order editing in Shopify at the time. And so if a buyer made a mistake, say they ordered the wrong size or the wrong animal, they would have to message the store who would have to like cancel the order and then they would have to place it all over again. But it's, it sort of blew my mind the extent to which that process was manual and how much t- three people working full time every morning for like three hours just to deal with that. And I think it really gave me a sense for when order editing later on became a feature on our roadmap. I I think I had this really visceral sense of how dire the need for this was. But the other one was around fulfillment where we spent the rest of the afternoon running around these rows and rows of products, just having lists of, okay, it wasn't even done in such a way where there was a sort of summary somewhere where it was like, we're going to need to pull like a hundred of this and like 15 of this and whatever off the shelf. It was like order by order. We were running around and grabbing the items and then packaging them. That was basically, you know, like four or five hours of the afternoon, three people again, full-time plus me helping. It was a really interesting day, I think, because it really shaped my perspective around like when we have merchants who are spending so much time doing these tasks that are not streamlined or not automated or what have you at the expense of actually doing the more compelling or creative or challenging aspects of running their business, like the marketing, like connecting with their customers, like thinking about new products or making products or whatever it might be. It really kind of hits you uh, how much of running a commerce business sometimes can be sort of a very sort of very manual, repetitive process. And so, yeah, that just comes to mind for me, like hearing you say people don't like the fulfillment part. You know, my reaction to that at first, I was like, they don't? And then I was like, oh yeah, no, they probably don't. Because you're right, once you start getting into a certain scale, it's not a very, I mean, I want to say it's not a very fulfilling activity, like no pun intended, but it really is not the kind of work that makes you feel like you're really sort of like growing or challenged or, you know, even like cognitively engaged as you're doing it. It really slows down businesses. And I mean, we've talked to a lot of businesses that 
by them joining Shop Fulfillment Network and really allow them to grow and like significantly grow. And then they're just thanking us that, you know, like, well, now I don't need to, to think about all these things that, you know, I don't need to think about fulfillment. I know that it just works. There's an interesting point that you've mentioned how, you know, doing certain things and like one of the challenges that I want to mention about, about SFN, what happens if, you know, if a buyer actually decides it changes their mind? Like you mentioned how it was difficult for, you know, for merchants who were doing self-fulfilling their orders. Now you can imagine like if you're doing it with Shop Fulfillment Network, it's actually becoming even more challenges because if buyer changes their mind, they want to cancel part of the order or they made a mistake. You now need to basically get all that information and it needs to go all the way from Shopify all the way to the warehouse. And as I mentioned right now, we have you know, different systems running and operating warehouses. And like the systems on the warehouse level are automated and the way it's how you pause something, you're making change to that, making it much more complicated. And obviously, you know, this whole process of, I'm sure you've probably dealt with the cases before where you would buy something and then you would try to make a change, like if it's, especially like if it's a large retailer and then it would say, no, not do this change. The only thing you can do now is just to get the order and then, you know, return it. And so creating a whole ecosystem and platform that can be connected from the point that buyer changes their mind and want to make some change. And then we can quickly change that on the warehouse side to make sure that we can make the changes to the order. This is another challenge that we're working on. And that is another part of the team that's working on that is the warehousing experience and everything mm-hmm. that has to do with the fulfillment on the warehouse side. It's really fascinating. It's almost like, you know, taking more ownership of that post-purchase experience and sort of alleviating the burden from our merchants having to think about that and getting them really focused on getting the customers through the door. One of the things that I think COVID has really changed for me and you know, shopping a lot more online. It's also come with the idea of like, do I feel comfortable returning items? Do I feel comfortable editing an order? And I used to hear that a lot theoretically before of like the return experience is such an important part of the buyer experience and something that a lot of commerce businesses don't often think about, but particularly being in the pandemic and knowing that I don't want to go to a store and I don't want to have to deal with a lot of these post-purchase headaches if something doesn't come right has really shaped my decision by from certain retailers, like if I've had a positive return experience with someone or a positive experience editing something or a positive post-purchase experience, I'm far more likely to shop with that particular business again, even if they may not necessarily have the lowest prices, just because it feels the least risky in a sense and feeling like I'm I'm not going to be, you know, sort of saddled with something I don't want to keep just because it's too difficult to change or return. You're absolutely right. I think return experience in you know the whole scheme of commerce is super important. This is actually one of the key things that we're working on this year on improving the return experience. This is a very interesting point because our return experience and the way we work on that actually connects kind of all the three you know main players in that fulfillment experience. You know, obviously the core parts of that experience that is being initiated to then it goes through SFN and then also what happens on the warehouse side, again, like when returns happening, how we handle that. And so it's it's constant back and forth of the flow of information from core through SFN to warehouse and all the way back there. Nice. 
So I guess SFN is relatively new when you compare it to the rest of Shopify or how long the rest of Shopify has been around. I'm curious, what's different about building a product from scratch? So what are some of the things that you have found advantages in terms of building something from scratch and what are perhaps things that have proved themselves to be challenges or constraints when you're trying to build an entirely new system on top of an ecosystem that has existed for much longer? Yeah, now that's that's an amazing question. I think some of the advantages is obviously, and from day one, I joined Shopify pretty early stages, so we still didn't launch SFN, but we launched that you know soon after that. One of the things of building product from scratch is obviously because it was also a new domain for Shopify, getting into the you know physical fulfillment domain space and there was a lot of a lot of things that we had to learn. So research actually played in the early days of, of SFN, research played a key role in defining what are their main things that we need to focus on and what are the kind of the big things we're building. You know, as we built the knowledge in, you know, inside Shopify that have people basically who know about fulfillment in the early days, again, like there was a lot of assumptions and hypotheses we've established with our research and that we wanted to build on those and to make sure that do this actually correlate to what the merchants need from from shop fulfillment network the things that were the advantage of being an early kind of being something new for shopify is that we moved incredibly fast and i would say that we still do so the things that we needed to build there was a lot of things that we had to build to kind of prove the early hypothesis so a lot of things were built very very quickly the downside of that is there was for for I would say for a first year there was a very you know uncomfortable feeling especially for UXers on the team to live with that compromise of we need that product feature out and we need that thing out the experience definitely was not as polished or not as perhaps you know well thought through as you would expect from Shopify product quality so. It was a definitely balancing that, like, you know, we need to learn and we need to learn learn quickly. So we need to ship all these features. They were not at the kind of level of experience that I would expect from Shopify. So I'm very happy to say that we've kind of caught up and we've definitely have improved a lot of these things. So we are in a different place right now. But for the first year of, you know, of SFN, since we launched that, there was definitely this really uneasy feeling of, leaving with a compromise, you know, like getting, building all these features versus building something that we would want to spend perhaps a bit more time with. And that applied both to SFN merchant experience, which is right now works as an SFN merchant app, Mm -hmm. and also even more to our internal client experience. So here's an interesting part about SFN that many people don't know. We have a quite large network operations team. So network operations team is basically all the people who support merchants in the journey with SFN. SFN, another thing that I would mention, SFN, and this is how we talk about this, is really more than a product. SFN is a service. And as a service, it has a lot of part of the journey is actually have human interactions. So when we building SFN, a component, so there was a merchant facing component and there was component for our internal audiences, basically all the people who were helping merchants to go through that journey. And the first version of that product was 
we would call it SFN admin and was a very developer oriented tool again, because the, the majority of the team were engineering. It was not optimized for what our operations team would need. And only like a year and a half later, we actually took time to redesign and rebuild that tool, really focusing on the needs of that specific audience and not just, you know, giving them the options to, to do things, but not in the way that they would do. So these were the challenges and the benefits of, of being a startup that you would see a lot of things being released very quickly. So I think that the team have built a lot of stuff in the last, like in the last two years. And it's definitely, you know, something that is very inspiring for many new team members that are joining the team. Yes. So it sounds like one of, one of the challenges there was sort of finding that balance between speed and quality. And I'm curious in terms of, you know, the culture of the UX team and you sort of leading that discipline, how did you help the team achieve that balance? Was there any, for example, rituals or habits that the team had to follow or build out to sort of get more comfortable with that compared to, you know, a different balance between speed and quality that you might find uh, in a different part of Shopify? Yeah, I mean, the reality is that there was a lot of conversation of just assuring the team that we are in that early phase and that the early phase, you know, it's not a permanent state of a product. And I'll, I'll be honest, you know, it's something difficult, especially when you work for, you know, for several months or as I mentioned, like it was for the entire first year. And then this is what you start seeing that you optimize for speed, not necessarily for quality. So it's trying to push some of the things that I've tried you know, communicate to the team is just to think beyond that and just to think about more optimized, or I would say like in some cases, ideal experiences, what we can think about. And in many cases, like it was not necessarily possible to build that, I think did provide the team some hope and in terms of thinking about what it could be. And we're definitely catching up with that. So we're continuing with that trend and we're catching up with what we would like that experience to be and how polished and how high quality that experience should be. So I think, you know, for myself, kind of leading this team is just to provide those venues of, of thinking about the future state and not just uh, what we need to build right now. And again, constantly assuring the team that this is, you know, this is a temporary state, which we are moving to a more steady phase as the product matures. That's great. A lot of what you say actually resonates with me in terms of some of the work that we did last year on the Handshake team, which is Handshake is sort of Shopify's wholesale marketplace that allows uh, retailers and suppliers to buy um, and sell products directly wholesale through the marketplace. And because we weren't building on top of Shopify and it was sort of a separate system, we had a lot more speed. We were able to move a lot faster than if we were sort of constrained, for lack of a better word, having to build on top of existing foundations. But it almost makes me wonder whether sometimes, you know, when engineers have a lot of heavy lifting to do in terms of contending with existing structure, making sure that what we're building works on top of that, it somehow gives UX a bit more of a breathing room to take the time to sort of like do the quality work that they want to do and sort of move at a certain pace. And at the end, the speeds end up more or less being matched. But when you have engineering moving really fast and then UX suddenly has to start moving really fast as well, we had a lot of similar uh, challenges in terms of figuring out how do we find that balance between speed and quality and definitely agree with you with sort of reminding the team that, you know, what we were launching was an MVP and that there was going to be room for success. And I think recognizing that we know that maybe the first pass isn't 
reflective of that quality bar that we would like to have. And I think acknowledging that and telling the team that like nobody's under any illusions that this is the best work that we can produce. But at the same time, there are advantages to being first to market. There are advantages to sort of moving fast and, and putting something out there and learning and iterating rather than sort of, you know, trying to perfect every detail before we go out. And one of the things that the team tried to do to sort of help find that balance as well is after the MVP went out, the sort of like next step of the roadmap was left intentionally as a carte blanche for the teams to figure out what it is that they wanted to own and work on. So initially during this sort of very heavy uh, development phase where we were trying to go out as fast as possible, there's definitely a bit more of a top-down culture where everything was very rigid and very scoped down. And like, you know, we had a very specific list of things that we needed to build in order to go out the door. But then once that happened, there was then, it was followed up by a period of a bit more looseness and a bit more ownership for the teams. It's like, okay, what pieces do we want to, do different teams want to own now? What do you want to improve upon? Particularly when it comes to the UX folks, like what are some of the things that we scoped down previously that we would like to improve? And I think that that really helped the team find that balance after such an, an extended period uh, of just trying to move as fast as possible and ship things out the door. Yeah, that's a great way to actually, you know, uh, help the team to get out of that. <laughs> I think this shipping super quickly and then just, you know, I think that's uh, something I definitely will take a note for next time that I'll need to balance the speed versus quality. <laughs> you were mentioning earlier as well uh, that, you know, in the early stages when there was a lot of research going into this, a lot of hypotheses and assumptions being formed that you then wanted to sort of like test and validate. I'm curious if you could share with me maybe what some of those early hypothesis might have been that ended up surprising you or something that you went into this project thinking was going to hold true, but then as things progressed, that you were kind of surprised by the outcome or it maybe didn't exactly fit the initial assumptions or hypotheses that you and the team had made. Yeah, there's one thing that I would say this is more than just in the research hypothesis. Like this was a hypothesis that we've made around the pricing model for, for mm -hmm. Shopify Fulfillment Network and how we establish, because obviously with Shopify Fulfillment Network, the pricing and billing model is more complicated than just, you know, a Shopify model. It's not like, you know, one price you pay and that's it. It really depends on the inventory, how much of that is like, what's the number of orders and different costs, different number of nodes that's worth fulfilling those orders. So we, we've made some assumptions early on, really trying to simplify this, this model as much as possible. So basically just trying to model as much as possible like the Shopify pricing model. But what we found, and I think what, you know, what we have changed since then is just that model doesn't necessarily correlate because it doesn't build that trust with merchants. Because at the end of the day, we still need to price and bill merchants according to the actual fulfillments and not just, you know, one price fits all. It has become quite complex for them to understand and they would spend quite a lot of time for trying to understand this, like what are they being charged for and how is it being done? And so, you know, we've definitely, this is something that we are still working on kind of tweaking and changing that to ensure that it's, it's very transparent and clear to merchants. So... Mm -hmm. I would say that this is one example of, you know, being innovative and perhaps aligning to something that's to a known model that is not something that's necessarily proven to be right. Mm -hmm. And really understanding what's, I guess, like one of the principles that we probably should have set up, you know, in the early days, 
So I mentioned about building trust with inventory, which is like the, you know, the most important thing for them. But obviously, you know, the billing and pricing, and I'm sure our, you know, money team can speak more to that, but it gets, it's a very important part of that. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, establishing the trust between the merchant and Shopify, and in this case, Shopify network, that they absolutely clear about what we charge them, how does it, you know, how does it correlate to the actual orders that are being fulfilled. Like this is a key uh, key component in building that experience. And this is something that we had to change as we, you know, as we continue to build SFM. Yeah, I imagine that probably played a pretty important role. You mentioned, you know, aspects of this, you know, the inventory, but there's also the sort of billing and other sort of software aspects to this. I think one of the, the key things that makes SFN yet again different from the rest of Shopify is that you are working on solutions that where you have to think about physical spaces as well as sort of traditional software as a service uh, spaces, which is what Shopify tends to specialize in. I'm wondering how that plays out in the work that the team does and particularly uh, the UX team. So what's it like to have to think about both those sides of things, the sort of physical and the software how do you guys approach that and what makes it a bit different than perhaps, again, some of the other uh, teams or products at Shopify? Yeah, absolutely. So perhaps it's worth explaining a bit about how the team is structured. And then just so SFN UX team basically have three sub-teams. So we have SFN product UX team, we have SFN marketing UX team, and we have the warehousing UX team. Our SFN product UX team have two main audiences that we build software for. One of them is obviously as merchants, and and this is where the kind of the main touch point with for merchants with SFN is through the SFN app experience. So once they become an SFN merchants, they they have this app which they interact with and they do all the interactions. The second piece of software that we're building is for internal teams. And that is, again, like this has been a huge improvement that we, we've done over the years because it's like these tools are critical because still at this point, a lot of the merchant experience relies on the experience with human, with basically with our operations team. And the better experience operations team they have, you know, with the product we build with them, the better experience they could provide to merchants. So obviously there's a direct correlation to that. Now the warehousing UX team, and this is where I would say that this is the the biggest difference is the team that's worked with Sixer Systems is the company that Shopify acquired about two years ago. And Sixer Systems built all the solutions, both hardware and software for warehousing operations. And this is really where the main difference comes into play between what the teams is building on. So one of their, you know, key audiences for warehousing is obviously is uh, warehouse associates. It's people who actually do the fulfillment. So whether they do fulfillment with, you know, with cards in case of six server systems, they actually do fulfillment with collaborative robots that's called Chucks. So building a software for robots and building experiences. So the team needs to consider all aspects of that experience. Obviously, it's the the environment is completely different from what would you expect, you know, for a typical Shopify merchants operating with. It's working with hardware because the robot has has different aspects of actual physical experience. This is not just software. I'll give you some examples. Robot actually have some visual indication where to put different totes where associates pick up the you know the orders. So how do they see those visual indications? 
how does where does the robot stops in terms of you know in correlation to the where they need to pick up the orders. So when the team works on that, there's a lot of considerations that needs to be taken you know into account. The best comparison to that would be probably what uh, Shopify retail team have built when they've built the new point point of sale system. The context, the environment, and everything in which how this the system is used is very different from what we imagine for again for a typical Shopify merchant. And in that case, it's not even Shopify merchants, and it's not even a merchant. It gets a warehouse associate. You know, another type of like persona and audience that they're building for is the people who supervise operation in the warehouse. So they work is also different. So they spend some time in the office. They also spend some time on the floor. So what did that experience looks for them? And like what access to the, you know, the different sides of the system they have to. So they have a few different audiences, sorry, personas that they design and build for. And like they have to be heavily considered how we're building that. On top of that, when we're building all that software, it's like as I mentioned, it all connects all the way back to SFN. So when we're thinking about consistency in using, so content as an example plays a huge important role in that, ensuring that whatever content we use on the warehousing side to whatever we're communicating to the SFN operations audience, to whatever we're communicating to merchants. So ensuring that consistency, ensuring that the terminology is actually consistent between all the systems is a very important part you know, of our content designers that are working on the teams. Very so, cool. yeah. What's it like building out and staffing a team like that? So particularly thinking about the warehousing team that has to sort of think about that sort of, you know, interface between the hardware and the software and perhaps might potentially need some more specialized skills. So do you look for uh, certain, you know, experience or profile uh, or characteristics uh, that might make someone a good fit for the warehousing team, again, compared to someone who might be working exclusively on software considerations? Yeah, we were thinking when we're hiring for the team, some of their unique skills, not necessarily unique skills, but some of the skills that we value when we, you know, we, and we look for candidates is obviously someone who can think about experience holistically. So again, Astro Fulfillment Network is really a service. And, and as a service, we need to think about all the, all the different parts of that journey. So really from, you know, from the warehousing floor all the way to the buyer when the, the order is actually delivered to the buyer, like what does that experience look like? So it's not just about the part of what's the merchant interact with the product. It's really thinking about the other parts and how those other parts can impact this totality of experience. So it's somebody who's thinking about that entirety of experience is would be very valuable. And I would say that this is not necessarily unique. And I think many teams at Shopify, you know, need to think about the totality of experience. But somebody who has some experience with working with more complex systems with, you know, thinking about services, designing for services and thinking how this all aligns to the experience. Another skills that we're looking for, and I would say this is specifically for the warehousing UX team, is somebody who have experience building products for physical environments. These are not necessarily have to be warehousing environments. It could be any physical environment, whether it's building products for a retail environment, perhaps, you know, like products that people have to interact with and they, that have impact on the actual product experience, whether, you know, how they are. And in many cases, it also includes hardware as well. An interesting fact, so our UX team really think about 
how those experiences they built can adapt to different environments. So six service systems, as an example, also have the robots, not just in the warehouses, but also in retail stores. So as one of the things, Walmart actually have their robots that operate in the actual stores. So thinking about sound design is a good example of how you're thinking about totality of experience, which is it's not just interacting with the robot as a piece of hardware and that has like a screen, also how does it interact with different collateral users around that, which, which could be impacted. And so that's another kind of key skill that we are looking for, people that have experience working with like in physical environments and ideally with some hardware as well. That's really fascinating. I want to touch back on earlier in the conversation when you mentioned that some of the things that the team is thinking about right now are sort of aspects of that post-purchase experience in terms of like editing and potentially return. What would you say is the biggest challenge that's on your mind for the rest of 2021? Uh, So what are you really focused on uh, in terms of UX for the SFM team uh, for the rest of the year? Yeah, that's a great question because there are a few challenges that we're focusing on. So it's hard to pick just one, but I will I will pick one that is very important for us this year. One of the big challenges that we're focusing on is what we call SFN onboarding. And we're really thinking about onboarding for the entire journey when, when a merchant just wants to consider a shop fulfillment network to the point where they actually become like a steady, in a steady state of using shop fulfillment network. Hmm. That process right now includes multiple touch points with multiple teams on SFN. So thinking about the marketing, one of the key things that we know uh, we need to solve as an example is, is educating merchants about fulfillment in general. What is fulfillment at that large scale when they need to outsource fulfillment? What does it look like? Our sales process right now so we have a dedicated sales team that's working with with merchants and explaining them, you know, everything, how they would join the network and ensuring that they're, you know, we are good fits, like both sides are a good mutual fit for each other as they kind of onboard to SFN, as they send the inventory in. So we are trying to really optimize that journey. We want to make sure that the journey is, you know, as frictionless as possible and as also as consistent as possible, because obviously the more human elements you introduce into the, you know, into the service journey, the more inconsistent it could become. And obviously that would impact the merchant experience. So we're trying to build a system and optimize that with our products to ensure that we have a consistent and great experience for our merchants from the point that they consider SFN to the point where they actually become and start using SFN. So this is one of our big challenges this year. We're trying to solve that with some survey design work, with some serving with, uh, with, with product work, with optimizing our product, our onboarding experience, optimizing our marketing, and how we think about merchants and educating them about some of the fulfillment issues and topics. So it's a pretty large, large area that we're trying to cover this year. But as I mentioned, like this is just one of the areas that we need to solve this year. That's fair. Vadim, I have uh, one last question for you today to wrap this up. I'm wondering, how do you think the world will be different if you solve this problem? So if SFN sort of fulfills its mission, you know, and ends up owning that fulfillment aspect of commerce for a lot of our merchants, how do you think the world would be different at that point? I think the world, well, we're talking about the Shopify mission of making commerce better for everyone. And I truly think this would be become better for everyone, buyers and merchants. 
because buyers, if, if as a fan is successful, if successful at scale, I would say successful, buyers won't have to make those difficult decisions they have to make today to make a decision like, I want to buy this from this like unique product from a unique merchant, but I don't want to wait, you know, two, three weeks and sometimes longer for it to be delivered. I really want this in, in a few days, like, you know, one, two days. Today, unfortunately, for majority of the Shopify merchants, this is not the reality. We want buyers not to make that decision and to be able to choose the unique and great products that Shopify merchants can provide to them and have it delivered to them at the levels of expectation that they expect today. That means, like in many cases, a couple of days. So this is what I truly think that Asafan will, will enable. And I believe that we will solve that hard problem. We're working hard on solving it, so it still will take us some time, but we're definitely getting there. That's great. Well, I wish you all the best of luck with achieving that mission. As a buyer, I'm very biased, and I really do hope that it comes true. And yeah, I want to thank you so much, Vadim, for taking the time to chat today and to help me learn more about SFN and all the great work that you and your UX team are doing over there. And thanks again. Thank you so much, Dalia. Thank you.